Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Rifles Only Accuracy podcast. Uh, we This is this is going to be a good one. Um, before we do get started, I just want to do a little housekeeping here. Keep in mind, registration for the brawl is open 17th and 18th of February. So that's a Friday, Saturday. We used to do a train up the Monday previous and a day off on Thursday, and then we'll get started with the match on, on Friday. So get over to the website, riflesonly.com, and get signed up. Come for the train up and the match, or come for just the match, or just the train up, or whatever. We'd love to see you down here. So, uh we have the ROAP rifles only accuracy podcast email and all you guys that are out there listening to us and, and, and email me with questions and stuff like that. I got bombarded with a guest from Bartland barrels, Frank green, and he's back with us today. Say hello, Frank. Hey man, how's it going? It's going good, man. Hello everyone. Man, I'm really happy that you decided to come back. You know, we, we spoke a few days ago and I started rattling off these questions and I said, there's no way I'm going to be able to answer these on my own. And you were gracious enough to spend some time with us again to get some of these listener questions answered. And I, I, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm very, very grateful. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, I know you're a busy guy. Well, cool. Well, let's get right into it, man. Uh, this is this is going to be we're simply doing uh we're simply doing questions for frank and, and bartland barrels that's going to be the whole podcast today and we're going to start off with with one of these questions uh first up is do barrels speed up towards the end of their life i'm going to tell you no okay everything that i've learned data i've seen like out of ammunition test barrel so you know you know going back to ammunition test barrel like we talked before Everything's being shot in controlled conditions, okay? Yes, sir. So as the throat wears, now this is assuming you're not, you're not, you're running box ammo. You're not changing your, your handles. You're running a given spec load. So as the barrel wears, as the throat wears, the bullet's going to make a longer jump. And what happens is that's where you're going to lose the velocity and you're going to lose the wear. Okay. Now the barrel might not be dead. If you're hand loading, you can, Seat the bullet a little bit further. You can bump your powder charge a little bit and get the tune back. But no, as the barrel wears, if, if you're paying attention to your gun and you're chronographing it every once in a while, um, when you see when you start seeing the velocity loss, that's usually an indicator that the barrel's on its last legs. Then, mm-hmm. um, and I know on the ammunition pressure test barrels, they don't want to see a pressure correction of more than two thousand psi. But usually, what happens is if I remember correctly, the pressure will all of a sudden it'll spike, it'll go up. Mm-hmm. And when they see the, and the velocity will drop. And when they see that, they know the barrel's on its last legs. Okay. So no, typically I'm going to tell you, you're going to lose velocity. Very, very good. Yeah. That, that's kind of what I had seen. You know, I have, I've had barrels that like you say, I was just shooting, you know, regular ammo and uh, they didn't have any rifling, you know, for the first, you know, four to six inches. I mean, they were done, but you know, they still shot. Well, right. You know what I mean? They still shot pretty good. Yeah. So, you know, in a, in a good example, and I'll give you one real quick, um, the barrels that we make, um, can soft come, um, so Canadian special forces, like three, three, Lapua, they, they have a couple of barrels. The last time I talked to them, I know one barrel had 5,000 rounds on it. Mm-hmm. And if they cleaned it and, and they kept it in check, it still shot good. But I know that barrel at, at that at that round count, it lost a solid 200 feet per second. So no, you don't you don't gain, you lose. Yeah, yeah, and that's you're just deleting any sort of benefit that you would have, especially with that caliber. You know, so you want to keep those velocities right. up. Very good, very good. Moving on, and this one this one has a, a lot to it. 
Um, give me <clears throat> the benefits of a game twist. Well, there's, um, there's the two biggest ones I would say are, and, I'll, and I'm going to kind of quote what Pope would say, what, what Pope said a hundred plus years ago too. Okay. Um, he said there was three benefits. I think in, in part of this, I think one of it applies more to a, a cast lead bullet shooter mm-hmm. or a, a rim fire shooter than versus a center fire gun. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me find it here real quick. So he said there was three benefits. Um, he said, first, the twist being less at the breech, it gives less friction to the bullet. It therefore starts easier and quicker when it makes a jump into the rifling or is in the rifling. Mm-hmm. It gives the powder less time to burn on in front of the chamber. See, when you when you fire the gun, there is some powder, some burn that actually gets in front of the bullet. Okay. So, you know, when you watch any high-speed videos of bullets leaving barrels, you'll see some gases actually exit the barrel first before the bullet does. Mm-hmm. So what he would say there is it gives the, the powder time to burn on in front of the chamber, which therefore it follows less than the barrel of the uniform twist at the same necessary, he called muzzle pitch, the muzzle twist. Mm-hmm. Second, he said the slight angle, change in angle of the rifling in connection with choke bore lapping, that's where you lap choke into the barrel, mm-hmm. and that's another, another topic for something else down the road. It effectively shuts off any gas escape, of, and it prevents the ga- gas cutting. Okay. To the bullet, he said, which was which is another case that he he called it. It, it would give you imperfect delivery of the bullet. Okay. And he said, third, it holds a muzzle loaded bullet in position much better than a uniform twist. So here's what I say with the gain twist stuff. In any barrel, you want either a uniform twist, and that's where cut barrels always had had an advantage over button rifled and stuff like that. Um. I tell guys, you know, the, the few things I tell everybody, the straighter the blank, the more stress-free the steel is, the more uniform your bore and groove sizes are over the length of the barrel, and the more uniform the twist, the more forgiving the barrel's going to be. So I always tell guys, you want a uniform twist. You don't want a barrel that's got a, a negative twist mm-hmm. or a twist where it'll, it'll slow down and speed back up again. Right. That's a non-uniform twist. Okay. So the gain twist... I don't think you need a ton if you want to run one with a jacketed bullet, but you just you want either a, a uniform twist or a real slight gain. I don't think you have to go crazy nuts with it, but it is it isn't going to hurt you. Okay, and let's go back. You you use the term gas cutting, and so I'm assuming that that is gas that is that is actually escaping the sides of the bullet while it's still in the bore and, and making it in the one, the ones that got in front of it and mm-hmm. the ones that are working on the bullet behind it. Okay. Now that's going to be more of a case for a lead bullet gun. Right. Right. Which is and where I was my rim fire guns. Yep. My rim fire guns. I run a slight gain twist in all my rim fires. Okay. Um, and there it's, it's pretty popular with the ELR guys, the guys shooting a solid bullets and stuff. Um, I've had some guys with jacketed bullets guns say, yeah, it shot great, but I can't tell a difference. Right. You know, so it's some guys believe in it and that's all they'll do. I've also got one where one customer builds high end AR service rifle, man rifle guns. Mm-hmm. He runs a really drastic gain twist and 
but he's trying, they're trying to push 90 grain bullets, single loading them out of an AR platform. And they're trying to get as much velocity as they can. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're dedicated 600,000 and thousand yard guns. So, but he's found that it actually helped fight between the five R rifling, really slowing the game twist down. Um, it helped, the, it helped fight bullet failure and they're getting the velocity they want to get out of it. Okay. So, but I tell guys everything I've learned and we've made, we both made both 308 barrels and six, five pre-war barrels and Hornady did the testing and we did two of each. Mm-hmm. So if we, we made a gain twist 30 cal and a gain twist six, five. Okay. So, but they're just shooting conventional jacketed bullets. Right. And we also made them a normal spec, Sammy spec 308 barrel you know, a straight 12 twist mm-hmm. and a six fight Creedmoor straight eight twist. Mm-hmm. We did all the work, same chamber reamer. The only thing that was different was the twist rates. Okay. And the twist rates, I think went from 12 to eight. Okay. Um, they saw no difference in accuracy and they didn't see any velocity change or pickup. And I, and I think that more has to do, and I've always was told that that twist for the most part has got nothing to do with velocity, but your, what your bore and groove dimensions are for sizes, that's going to affect your velocity more than anything else, along with the what throat spec the reamer cut the chamber to. But anyways, they ran, they did the test. We made the barrels no charge. They did the test. They gave me all the data. And um, they called me up at one point when it was done. They said, hey, you know, what do you want to do with the barrels? I go, well, you did the testing. I go, I made the barrels. That was the deal, you know. Yep. They go, well, the barrels, you know, as far as shooting Sammy ammo and spec and reference, they work great. I go burn them up, you know? Yep. So that's, um, but yeah, I don't see any difference really in velocity. Okay. Some people have said that some people have told me that, but I can't, I can't, I don't have data to prove that. And the only data I have is what I've gotten from Hornady and stuff. Right. Now I'm going to say there is no gain in velocity. Okay. Next one, is it possible to go from like a zero to a seven twist? It is possible. Um, the machines are capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. We actually had a vibrations and harmonics engineer ask us to make them a couple of six mil uh, PPC bench press barrels for them. And he had it all figured out. And um, he wanted to go from a zero and he wanted the twist to end at 13 and a half. The PPC guys are all shooting like, you know, 13, 13 and a half, 14 twist barrels. Mm-hmm. And um, I go, geez, I go, no one's ever asked us. I go, I don't know if the machine's even capable of doing it. So we, we did a dry test with the machine. Yep, it can do it. We made the proper tool and um, we made the barrels for him. And when we pulled the barrels out, I called a guy up. I go, they're not going to shoot. Mm-hmm. He goes, what do you mean? I go, there's not even one full twist in the rifling. Yeah. So I don't think the bullets can be stable coming out. He goes, nope, I got it all figured out, yada, yada, yada. Well, he put them on the guns. He called me back. He goes, you're right, they don't shoot. Yeah. So can we do something like that, zero to a seven or zero to 13 and a half? There's a tool, there's a charge to do it, but I'm going to tell you it's probably not going to shoot. I'll pretty much guarantee it's not. Okay. All right. It, going back a little bit, um, what what was that document that you were looking at? Are you 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 talk, I think it was Pope you referred to. Yeah, Pope. Okay. Is is this? Is I actually this? got that information out of out of uh, Pope's book. Okay. 
All right. Very good. I just got the last one on that on the twist was, was there was there any documentation or anything like that that they could refer to, you know, based off a comparison between, you know, a uniform twist and a game twist. So I didn't know if there was any if there was any had anybody no, written anything it, up it, on it? It's just, you know, uh, just anecdotal stuff that comes out from people who have done yeah, it. Yeah, it was stuff that uh, Pope was quoted as saying or when they did the interview before he passed away. Mm-hmm. He died, I think, in 50, 1952. Okay. So, but, you know, those guns that he made or built or the barrels he made for the shoots and fest gun starting back in the late 1800s and early 1900s and stuff. You know, along with Zishang and um, Zishang, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, Pope, um, Skoyan. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were considered the greatest of their time. Right. And if you ever come across a Pope barreled gun and you want to shoot shoots and fest or, uh, or any of the black powder match stuff, if the barrel's in good shape, it, it'll win matches. I mean, that's, that's how good his stuff was. Yeah. There's, there's guys still using his barrels today and shooting the lead bullets right at the pressures they run them at the barrels last forever yeah yeah and those those things um that black powder is pretty pretty corrosive too so you got to take care of those barrels with a lot more care you got to take care of them yeah yep yep yeah i know that would i just you know going in and out with like soap and water on them you know the the black powder stuff just to make sure that all of it was out because it was so corrosive and a lot of a lot of the guys nowadays they're making up a some of the guys are using a, a different cartridge per se, and they're using smokeless powder. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and but they're just still doing the same thing. They they might be muzzle loading or breech seating the bullet, and they load in a charge case behind it. Right. But uh, still doing it the same way. But there are some guys using smokeless powders and stuff. But yeah, black powder is a whole is a whole another game to play with. Yeah, very good. Well, moving on to cleaning, the, one of the things that you had talked about was, you know, you could, if you're, it, you can act, if you're using abrasive cleaners or, or stuff like that, that you can actually see where the, where the rifling gets <clears throat> a little bit striated because of that. So the question came up on what about, <clears throat> excuse me, what about patches wrapped around a nylon brush? Would that still be too abrasive? No, I don't think so. You're, okay. cause you're putting something in between the bristles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the bristles and the abrasive can't work or amplify each other. Right. So I just tell guys, you know, what I do is I use a, I use a Parker Hill Jags. Mm-hmm. I just tell guys, otherwise I'll use a, a um, an old worn out brush mm-hmm. or a, a, you know, or a couple of sizes smaller caliber wise right. and I'll roll a patch around it. Right. But yeah, you know, if you're, as long as you're putting something in between there, I don't think it's going to hurt anything. Yeah. That's a, you know, and cleaning is, Cleaning is one of those topics, you know, that, you know, the, it, there's a bunch of divisiveness on that. You know, the, how should I clean my gun? Oh, what should we do? You know, it, it gets kind of strange. Right. And like we talked before, you know, I, I, I can tell you, I can tell you the way I clean it. I know I'm not wrecking anything, blah, 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 blah. But you can also take what I say with a grain of salt. You can ask 10 different guys, and you know this, you can ask 10 different guys a question, you'll get 10 different answers. Right. The biggest thing I'm going to tell you is as long as you're cleaning and maintaining the gun and you're not wrecking anything, yep. I got nothing to say. Yep. But when I see stuff come in and it's damaged and it's from cleaning, you can pretty much almost tell right away what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was Gail McMillan who had said in the past that he had seen more barrels ruined by overcleaning than shooting them ever did. Sure, and I agree with that statement. Yep. You know, and I I agree with the same thing. You know, we say we see more damage from cleaning mm-hmm. than from physically shooting. 
But again, going back to our previous discussions, depending on the caliber, bore size, how much powder, the type of powder you're dumping down the bore, yep. you you got to maintain it. You just can't, you know, a guy with a 6.5 PRC, and, and I've had this happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he goes, uh, and it was the BB material, the bar line material. Mm-hmm. He goes, yeah, the barrel quit shooting. It didn't, uh, it didn't go that long, yada, yada, yada. And he sent me pictures. He, you see all the cracking and stuff up in the throat. I go, no, I go, that's, that's carbon following. Mm-hmm. That's the carbon's literally caking. I go, how are you cleaning it? I go, you're not cleaning it good enough. I go, how many rounds you got on? He goes, 300. I go, how are you cleaning it? He goes, well, I haven't cleaned it since the first round fired through it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, you can't do that. You, <laughs> you have to, you, you have to clean it. You have to maintain it. Yeah. Yeah. On, on, you know, certainly a caliber like that. That's for sure. Right. Okay. Moving on. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about cryo treatment. I know that that was a big deal for a while. Okay, cryoing. Um, <laughs> even when I worked at Krieger, mm-hmm. and Krieger used to cryo all the steel prior to machining, mm-hmm. and then and when we worked there, we used to offer a second cryo. If the customer wanted it, we would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we never said, it does not make the barrel more accurate. They do not clean easier or better. They do not follow less. It does nothing for barrel life. And that, my view on that has not changed in 20 years. Okay. Um, we played with it till we were blue in the face when we started here. Cause that's what we were used to, you know, doing. Mm-hmm. And, and I asked John about it when I worked at Krieger, he goes, well, you know, so there's two, I don't want to say properties, but the two things or a couple of things in the steel are austenite and martensite. Mm-hmm. The austenite is what retains the stress. And when you cryo treat the steel, it basically artificially ages or helps convert the austenite to martensite. That's the way I understand it. Okay. The martensite is what helps is, is more stress-free. What we don't know unless you do a metallurgical test of every single freaking piece of steel is the more martensitic it is, the less, an effect, less of an effect the cryo is going to have on it. Okay. So there's, it's, it's hard to measure. So, but John was of the belief if it helped him make a better barrel, he would just do it no matter what. Yeah. And then there was a place that came along and claimed they had the patents on it and they threatened to sue. And John said, fine, we won't offer the second cryo, but you don't have a patent on cryoing bare steel, raw steel, if you want to say that. Right. And so it didn't go any further and we still did it. So we play with it when we were here. We would do whole batches. We would take a half a batch of steel and cryo it, and we would play with it. We would see how the stuff would, how would it rifle, how would it turn, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. We would, you know, the barrels would go to some bench customers. Let me know which one shoots the best. No one could ever tell a difference. Okay. And the, um, I know one time we were making a batch of six barrels for uh, Al Warner, and um, they're all F-class guns. I think mm-hmm. there were 33-inch blank 7 mils. Okay. And I had to shop make half of the barrels. They were the same lot of steel. I had to make half out of the cryo-treated steel and the other half out of the uncryoed ones. And when the guy finished, turned them all. So we turned them everything before reaming and rifling. And if a steel, if a blank has got residual stress and it, it's bad, mm-hmm. it'll bow and turn them. Yep. Start terminology for bending. Mm-hmm. And so he, he goes, hey, can you come over and look at this barrel? I look at it, and it had a bad bow to it. And I go, who's it for? He goes, it's for Al. 
And I go, I go, okay, question. Is it one of the crowd blanks or the uncrowd blanks? He's it's one of the crowd blanks. So that's what I'm telling you. Even crowding it, it doesn't guarantee anything. Yeah. Well, the whole and reason was that was supposed Mor- to de-stress the barrel, correct? That's the main thing behind it. Yeah. yeah. The main idea and, that people were saying. Okay. Right. And I don't know Warner or if it's, um, you know, if it's Jacob Bynum or if it's one of the guys in the shop. If I won't put it on my gun, I'm not sending it out to the customer because I'm not dealing with with a crabby phone call. Right. So, you know, that's just one of those things where there's no guarantees of, guarantees with it. I tell guys, if you don't have, if you have a gun that's not shooting good, you know it's the barrel. Even if the barrel is relatively new, hey, if you don't have six hundred bucks to put a new barrel on the gun, and you can get a cryo for forty, fifty bucks, sixty bucks knock yourself out. It might help it. It might not. There's not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. And I do recall one, if not two barrels when we were at Krieger where the customer had already shot them. The barrel shot fantastic. He sent it back in for a second cryo. And I do remember one, if not two, that we sent them back. They didn't shoot good. I mean, they shot minute of angle, yeah. but they weren't sub minute angle of barrels anymore. Now what changed on There's nothing we could physically see. And there was nothing that we could measure. So something changed in the harmonics or something, but I tell guys it's not a cure-all. It, you can try it, but uh, don't hold your breath that it's going to magically do something. It might help you, it might not. But again, to me, it does nothing for accuracy. It does nothing for cleaning. It does nothing for barrel life. Okay. And it also goes back to the quality of the steel. You know, that's probably where you actually have to start is with the quality of the steel. Right. Well, what, what is, okay, on the, on the heat treating portion, you know, what, what, are, what are you looking for? I mean, is, is all of that stuff is just for de-stressing the barrel, correct? Well, it's for strength and stuff too. Mm-hmm. If you don't, if the, if a material like the 416, if it ain't, if it ain't properly heat treated, you don't have the strength in it either. Right. Okay. So it's, there's, and then. If it's good steel, if, it's, if the place is making it right, um, it should be double stress relieved. Okay. So all of our material comes comes heat treated and double stress relieved, and it should be double stress relieved at two different times during what the is, process. What is the process? What is the process of stress relief? It's basically a heat treating process. Okay. You know, they'll take the steel up to around a thousand eleven hundred degrees Fahrenheit or so, mm-hmm. and it's for X amount of time. I'm not a whole steel manufacturer. I don't understand the whole thing. Right. Um, I would like to go to the mill sometime. Yeah, but, um, but basically, it's a stress relieving. It's a heat treating process. Okay. Um, I've seen barrels where they, um, the barrels were made. They were button rifled. And they were fluted, contoured, fully finished and everything. They had threaded muzzles and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the place doing a nitriding type treatment to them was kind of being blamed for wrecking the barrels mm-hmm. and they were doing hundreds mm-hmm. and so not he didn't think the shop didn't think it was anything they were doing and of course you know go figure the owner of the place shoots bench rest and like long mid-range bench rest mm-hmm. and he buys our barrels he goes if i sent you barrels he goes I'll have you inspect them for me, write down bore and groove sizes over the length of the barrel and everything. He goes, make a note, overnight them back to me. We'll, uh, we'll nitride them, we'll melanite them. 
overnight and back to you, regauge everything. Mm-hmm. And then I gave him all the inspection reports and overnighted the barrels back to him. We did like, pretty sure it was four of them that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, everything I saw in the barrels, though, either the steel wasn't properly made to begin with, mm-hmm. or the company that was making them wasn't stressed for leaving the blanks after button rifling and before finish turning them. There were no consistent bore sizes anywhere in the barrels. Okay. They changed everywhere. And they got bigger at the threads at the muzzle. They changed where they were fluted, um, either bigger or tighter. Um, and the thing that was interesting was after the, and see, when you, when you melanite, when you nitrite a barrel, you're basically taken up to about 1,100 degrees. You're taken up into that, into that heat treating, stress relieving operation. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, the bores changed. Okay. The bores and grooves. Sometimes they got tighter. Sometimes they got bigger. Sometimes they didn't change, but they did change. So okay. that tells me either the steel wasn't properly stress relieved after it was buttoned, mm-hmm. or the steel wasn't properly made to begin with. Well, just as a as a note, what what is the the hardness of a barrel like Rockwell? Um, our stuff is typically around. I'm going to tell you 27 to 32. Okay. The vast majority of the time it's around 28 to 32 Rockwell. Okay. Um, the, and that's probably, probably a good standard spec for most of the industry, mm-hmm. but I've seen prints. I've seen barrels where they actually called out a spec that they would use stuff as low as 21. And okay. I think that's getting way too soft. Yeah. It's probably pretty soft. Um, Does that change but, uh, over the life of the barrel? No, it should not. Okay. I don't know how it would. You know, the thought process is maybe that from the heating and shooting and stuff, mm-hmm. I'm going to say no. Okay. Well, because there's, you know, we, we're always talking about uh, pressures, you know, you and I, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, you know, the internal pressures and stuff like that. And I had a, I had a real interesting conversation with uh, Jake Vibbert over at, at JC Steel Targets. And we were, right. you know, um, he has, he uses AR 500 whenever he builds his targets. He, that's the steel that he uses. And he says that as time goes by and we're at rifles only, we're, we're knocking the hell out of those targets. And so after they've been, you know, out there for a while, you know, they'll start to get cracks in them and stuff like that. Normal, you know, this is just the life of the barrel. He says, yeah, he says, once they start to do that, he says, if you Rockwell test them, they're closer to 600 Rockwell whenever they started out at 500 and he tests the steel before and he's also tested it after and it just it because there's so much pressure beating on those targets that it actually they work the hardened. Imp- the impact forces yeah, they, yeah they the work, impact forces yeah they work hardened and so i was wondering if and i didn't know that i did this and this question didn't come in this is just something i was wondering about i wondered if they got if right. they got harder or softer you know just based off of the the pressure being applied to it i didn't know i don't think so yeah. i know we I've had conversations in, in years back about that. When you, when you, when you look in the throats and you see the cracking and stuff going on. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember how we talked about how we worded it. It's not necessarily, maybe, maybe a good way to describe it. Maybe it could be described as stress erosion Yeah. because you know, every time you pull the trigger, you also, you got 60 plus thousand pounds of pressure in the chamber area. Mm-hmm. The steel is, it's got to be expanding and relaxing to a certain degree. Sure. We all basically know that happens. Yeah. Oh, so maybe sure. those cracks ain't just, it's not just, maybe it's a, a heat crack 
or it's a combination of the heat and the stress from all this instant pressure. Mm -hmm. But whenever I've looked at barrels and we've, we've done rock wall tests here on stuff, Mm -hmm. we haven't really seen it change, but we're doing it on the outside. We're not doing it on the inside. Yeah. So it might be a different down in the the inside. It might be different. Yeah. Right. And if it's going to be, if it is going to be different, it would be back at the breech end, not towards the muzzle for the most part. Right. Yeah. Cause um, it's, it's, been... I got, cut, I got, I got, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, cause I, I have cutaways of barrels here where you can see the amount, and this is just a three weight. You can see the amount of carbon following how black it is in the first, like from the, from the chamber to like the first six inches. And as it, as you get down the barrel, it gets lighter and lighter, but you can see how heavy that carbon is yeah. uh, the following and stuff like that. And if anything, you know, because the temperature, when you pull the, the trigger and you light off that round, I'm going to tell you the average temperature is about 2,200 degrees Fahrenheit at the throat. Mm-hmm. And to put it in perspective, that's the temperature of lava. That's, yeah. that's molten rock. Mm-hmm. And it, but it, it happens for milliseconds, but it's there. And I think depending on the, the, the actual chamber, the caliber, and the type of powder being in a run, I've heard that those numbers can run as high as 4,000. I haven't verified that or nothing like that, but it's, it's hot. It's there. Yeah. So, <clears throat> well, we've all seen those videos with the, the barrels on the, on the belt feds, you know, start to glow. And so, you, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you know, when you're doing that just in such a short period of time. Yeah. That, that metal is, that metal's getting really hot, but you know, I think with, with what we're doing, you know, with the precision rifles, we're never, we're never getting them that hot. I mean, I hope not. <laughs> no. Um, I'll say yes and no. Yeah. You know, guys will ask me, well, hot is too hot. And I'll tell you this, and I, eh, hard to put an exact temperature number on it, mm-hmm. but I, we always tell people this. If you can't hold on to it with your bare hand, you're cooking it. You're killing it. Yeah. And there is no way around it. That, that Between us and the ammunition makers and stuff like that, we're all in agreement on that. If you can't hold your hand on to it, you're killing it. Yeah. So... You know, you go to an F-class match, if the conditions are good, you know, you're running that bolt as fast as you can. It's just that's, that's the nature of the game. Mm-hmm. And similar to what in PRS, but usually you're only doing, you know, or even like high-power rifle, you're only doing 10 rounds at the most at a time. Right. Where you're doing maybe like a rapid-type fire, and then the gun kind of gets a chance to, you know, a gets a chance to have a break and cool versus a machine gun, you know? Right. Yeah. They don't get a chance. So, uh, moving on, let's, let's talk about, uh, another thing, you know, we want, we want our barrels to be, you know, stiff and, um, let's talk about what fluting does to that. Uh, And there's things that have come up, you know, through the years and it's like, uh, okay, if the barrel is fluted, it's like it has I beams being welded to it. Therefore it will whip less and be more accurate. Um, and then that, as opposed to, okay, we're fluting the barrel. So what we're doing is we're creating, we're creating more surface area, which is going to aid in cooling. Um, what, 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 what's, give me your thoughts on that, sir. Um, where to start <laughs> one, I would never flute a button rifled barrel or a hammer forged barrel okay. because the amount of stress induced into the steel. And when you do that second, what I'll call a secondary machine operation, um, if you hit a, re- and I don't want to call it stress, but I don't, I don't know, what, I don't know what to call it in the material. I don't know how to call it anything better to describe it to people. When you hit a residual stress portion or point in the barrel, the machine operation is going to relieve the stress, mm-hmm. and the bore will actually open up. It'll change on you. 
Okay. I see just from just from threading the muzzles, and there's a video on our website um, where guys thread the muzzles, and the muzzles will open up a half a foul. Okay. Because as you cut down closer, as you cut into the wall thickness of the barrel, if you're hitting that residual stress point, I think I sent you those pictures where the button rifling, how the the, the face of steel gets deformed. Yep. You're displacing the material, right. so that pressure's got to go somewhere. Right. But as you cut closer and closer to the wall thickness, now you're giving the steel a chance to leave itself. You're giving it a chance for it to move. And so I would never flute button rifles, hammer forge, factory type barrels. Guys do it, and a lot of guys don't have a problem. It's one of those things, you're going to have an issue sooner or later, it's just when. Right. Um, as far as accuracy goes, yeah, I'll agree with you that you're by fluting it, you're giving the barrel more surface area, so it might help it cool a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. Um, does it make a big difference? I don't think so. The other argument is that if your flutes aren't exactly to the same depth, let's say one flute is five thou deeper than an opposing flute. Mm-hmm. Now the bore has a chance to shift more one way during shooting and stuff. Yeah. I've heard the argument. I, I can't prove it yay or nay. Okay. Um, as far as making the barrel stiffer, I can say yes and I can say no. So if we take two barrels, identical contours, um, let's just say an M40 contour. I can't remember if I did it on a, on a heavy pommel or, or an MTU contour one time, but we took two identical barrels and we fluted one. Same caliber, same lot of steel, everything. Put it between a bench center and I put like a 20 pound weight on the center of the barrel with a dial indicator. Mm-hmm. That particular test showed that the barrel flexed or bowed or it moved 20 to 30 thousandths more than the unfluted barrel of the same contour. Okay. Um, and then we put the barrels in the lathe and we just chucked on the breech end, put the dial indicator on the very muzzle end, and then hung a weight from the muzzle end. And I want to say I recall doing it that way, the fluted barrel was, it didn't move as much. Okay. But what I can't replicate and I can't measure is how does that barrel react to when you pull a trigger, you like the round off. We all know they have a vibration and, and a wave to them. Mm-hmm. Does the fluting make it stiffer that way? And, and it's probably a, a poor comparison, mm-hmm. but picture taking a piece of sheet metal and adding ribs to it. Yeah. If you, if you try and bend it the lengthwise, it, it resists. It's going to fight you more. Right. But you take the length, um, yeah, a long way. But if you take the width of it, so the the ribs are running lengthwise, you can roll it and bend it real easy. Right. But how the barrel reacts to when it's being shot, you know that I that I don't have an answer for you. Yeah. I used to flute a lot of my own barrels on competition guns and stuff and everything. I've never had a problem with accuracy. Right. But I I can't tell you that they're stiffer or they're not stiffer. Yeah, I just kind of it kind of the way I looked at it is I don't see how removing material is going to make it stiffer in that format. I mean, I understand your analogy on the, on the tin, but you know, this isn't tin, this is, you know, this is good solid metal. And I, I just felt like that well, yeah. the fluting probably, probably did not make it stiffer, but I don't necessarily, I mean, cause I've shot, I'm, I've gone through a, a, a whole bunch of barrels and I've, some of them been fluted. Some of them have it. I've never noticed any difference in accuracy between fluted and non-fluted. Right. And like I said, you know, the one test where I put the 20 pound weight right in the middle of the barrel uh-huh. and I put a dial indicator on there, the fluted barrel moved more. It moved like 20 to 30 thousandths more than the unfluted barrel. Right. Is it a scientific test? Yes. 
but again, I don't know how the barrel's reacting when it's being shot. Yeah, yeah that's, that's that's what I can't. I don't know how to measure that. Yeah, if it's gonna if it's gonna make it stiffer, then the only time that it really needs to be stiffer is when it's got a bullet in it. You know, what I mean, <laughs> other tests don't really right. don't really mean too much. Uh, okay, um, this one is where we're gonna end up. Give me your thoughts on the Molly. On uh, Molly coated bullets and stuff. Yes. Or yeah, like how did that? Because that was the that was a big thing for a while, and um, it was talking about you could you know load to higher pressures and your barrels lasted longer. And what did you see during that era? Um, I'm gonna tell you, it does nothing for barrel life. Okay. The one school of thought was you could shoot the barrel for a longer string of fire in between cleanings. Now I'm going to come at from the, the short range bench shooter side of it. Okay. okay. And some of the guys are my friends. So don't, don't nobody take it wrong when I say they're the cycle guys. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you have to remember those guys, they go to the line with a clean barrel and they might only put seven to 12 rounds on it total. Right. They have to shoot a record five shot group and they get unlimited ciders in a, I think it's like a five minute time period or something like that. It depends on what course of fire and stuff they're doing. Right. So, and then they'll go back and they clean their guns. Mm-hmm. And their thought was, well, we could go, we can go like 30 or 50 firings in between cleanings and the barrel holds accuracy. I go, crap. I go to a high power match. I'm putting 90, maybe a hundred plus rounds in a day on the gun. Mm-hmm. I ain't got no problem with accuracy. Mm-hmm. So what am I gaining? I, I, I don't see any gain there. The, um, the other things I'll tell you about Molly and why I won't use it, and you'll never see it in my gun, is some say, yeah, you, uh, you lose a little bit of velocity if so you have to up the load to get it back. I agree with that. But for the most part, the, the pressure is not changing. Okay. So I don't think you're, you're really dropping pressure. If it does go down, it doesn't go down a ton. Right. The pressure is still there. The other thing we've seen with Molly is we've seen – Copper fouling actually gets layered in between the layers of the molly and everything. So when a guy thinks he cleans the barrel, he doesn't, he ain't necessarily clean the barrel. Right. We've also seen molly cause pitting in the bores and stuff too, okay. even the stainless steel barrels. So to me, there's no gain in accuracy. There's no gain of accuracy versus the number of rounds fired mm-hmm. and versus cleaning. So why do it? Right. And if you look at the bench guys, it was a big fad with the bench guys for a while, mm-hmm. and then it kind of died away. There's there's a few that still do it, yeah, but it's not like it was before. So that's that's kind of a if you can take that as an indicator. Well, okay, well if they're not doing it, then there must really be no benefit to it. But I have I have not seen a stitch of evidence anywhere that the barrels lasted longer or anything like that. Yeah. Well, my thoughts and I'll on I'll give were... you a really good. Go ahead. No, I'll give you a good funny. I actually asked, I won't name the bullet maker. This was probably when, when Molly was at its peak. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we make them test barrels and I won't say the guy's name. I remember his name. And I, I asked him, I go, well, what do you guys see with the Molly? He goes, I go, you're, you're offering it on, on the, the bullets that are made there. And you know, you know, but now they don't do it anymore. I go, what do you guys see? He goes, nothing. It, it, we don't see any difference in barrel life or anything like that. And they're running this stuff through accuracy barrels 
that they, you know, they're putting thousands of rounds through him and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he goes, um, I go, so if you don't see no gain in accuracy and you don't see no gain in barrel life, why are you offering it? He goes, market demands it and we can charge an extra buck a box. Yep. Yep. America. <laughs> so they're only doing it because the market demanded it and they can make money on it. Yep. But he said they didn't see any, any gain in it at all. Yeah. So when somebody in industry who's using, you know, like our 30 cal barrels and they're putting 10 plus thousand rounds on the 308, mm-hmm. if they're not seeing no gain on it, then, well, what does that tell you? Right. Well, my thoughts on it, because, you know, Molly is a metal and, uh, you know, I always thought that every time that I put a, a bullet into the, the, the bore of my gun. So I've got a stainless barrel and then I've got a copper jacket around lead. And so I got three dissimilar metals there and we all know what happens with dissimilar mm-hmm. metals and why would I add another one? And so, I mean, I tried it, I didn't see anything. And then I started thinking to myself, you know, why am I going through this process? Because there's, there's really, I don't see any benefit towards it at all. And so I, I stopped it, you know, and, and plus my hand stayed a lot cleaner. <laughs> but yeah, we, we haven't seen nothing, you know, no gain, no gain from it one way or another. Mm. If anything, I think it's, it's caused more problems from people for people than what it's worth. Yeah. Well, very good. Frank, I'm going to tell you that this, um, I, I put these questions and I, I wrote them down and it, by asking you a question, you have inadvertently answered a bunch more questions that by just your answer. So the, um, the, 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 the time that you spent here has been extremely valuable. And again, I really, there's no way to express my gratitude. I really appreciate you coming on and clearing all this stuff up. Yeah, you're welcome, bud. Well, cool deal. That That's all I have for this one. Um, yeah, Frank, you can stay on with me after I close this out, but I just want to remind everybody, go to riflesonly.com, get signed up for the brawl or the train up or whatever you want to do. Check your merchandise in there, slings, suppressor covers, whatever you need from the pro shop, but stay with us um, and, and come in and see what we have going on at the brawl this year. It's very much a fun time. 